0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Now let me invite you to open with me to the book of Malachi this morning. Malachi. will be in Malachi chapter 3. If you're not familiar with Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Um, it might be easier just to go to Matthew and then go back uh, if you can find that. But that's where we'll be this morning. I appreciate Jed uh, filling in uh, for Ethan this morning. Uh, when Ethan went in the other day for this uh, emergency uh, appendectomy, um, I looked at Ethan and I said, well, who's leading worship? Because you're not. And uh, so I appreciate Jed being able to step in and, um, and appreciate Greg uh, welcoming this morning. Greg and I have an interesting relationship. Uh, he likes to make fun of me for my sweater vests. And I like to make fun of him because he looks like he's about 14. (laughs) And there's Ethan in the middle who just says, Hey, do you know what Greg said about you? Or, Hey, you know what Scott said about you? He just kind of prods it along. But um, it's good working with these guys, it's good to be your staff here at the church. Uh, The other day we were over at Greg and Whitney's house and they were grilling uh, some turkey tenderloin on the grill, and uh, Greg pulled out a meat thermometer. Well, at my house, we have no such thing. The way I tell if the meat on the grill is is ready or not is I take a knife and I cut it open, right? So if you come to my house and you're going to be served this meat that's like half cut open, and you're going to think, Wow, he butterflied my meat. No, I did not butterfly anything. I was checking to see if it was done. Greg pulls out this meat thermometer and plunges this thing delicately into the meat and says, Not quite. And patiently, like Greg does, waits for this meat to reach the optimal internal temperature to pull it off. And it was good. Now, what's the, what's the point of that meat thermometer? The point is because sometimes things look a certain way on the outside, But they're not so on the inside. And when we come to this issue that we are dealing with in our text today, and that we've been dealing with over the last four weeks, we deal with an issue that probably more than anything else tells the true internal condition of our hearts. And it is the way that we use money. This is not a comfortable subject for anybody in the church. If you're visiting here today and you came in and said, you know what, I bet the preacher will preach on money, and then you came in and I start this, you just elbowed your wife and said, see, I told you. Well, we don't typically do this. This is not comfortable. And preachers get a bad stereotype for always preaching about money But we don't do that around here because we believe that God owns everything, that he doesn't need our money, that he can do whatever he wants on his own. But we do believe, and I believe, conviction in my heart is that the way we as believers use what is his tells a lot about who we really are. And so for the last five weeks, we have been looking at, including today, looking at this issue of stewardship or managing what is God's. For His glory. And my intention is not to guilt you into giving anything. My intention is to move you further into following Christ. And so, with that being said, let's look at this together. Hopefully you've had time to find Malachi chapter 3. And I just want to begin to read Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob... Are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together as we look at this text that God would speak to us about our dealing with money for his glory. Let's pray. God, I believe that this is your word, God, that you've brought us to this point, and God, that that this is not something that is just off limits that we should not deal with, but God, that because it's in your word that you have saw fit to include it and we need it. And so, God, I pray that you would enable me to preach truthfully, faithfully to this text. And, God, that you would bring those words to life in the ears of the hearer. Lord, make it go beyond our ears into our hearts. And, God, change us so that you might be glorified in the end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see this morning is in this issue of Dollars and Disciples... When it comes to financial planning for the Christian, the first thing we need to look at is God's track record. And this is laid out for us very quickly in verse 6. God's people, you need to have a little bit of background in this, God's people at this point, they had come out of Babylonian captivity, and now they are just floundering. They are, they are just apathetic spiritually. They're, they're, they don't know what to do. They don't know what is really going on. They've come out of this captivity in Babylon, and now they've become skeptical, even cynical about God's plan for their future. They, they've, they've had such hardship, and they're in the middle of such hardship that now they don't know whether they should trust God or not. They were not trusting God with genuine faith as the living Lord. Even the priests had stopped Fearing the Lord, and they weren't even serving the people of God. Instead, they're they're serving their own needs during these difficult times. And as a result, the people became indifferent to the will of God. They were experiencing economic and social hardships um, of incredible measure. They blamed this on God. They said, God, where are you? God, it's your faithlessness. It's your unfaithfulness to us in this. That's why we're going through this. God, where are you? Instead of turning to God, they rebelled against him in a couple of very specific ways. In the book of Malachi, as I studied this book, four short chapters in this book, they are breaking God's laws by, number one, breaking their marriage covenants, and number two, refusing to give the tithe. These are the two main issues. There are others, but these are the two main issues in the text and they are rebelling against god and they've got a history of this and then out of nowhere god speaks this is what's going on and their distrust of god this is what's happening but then god speaks and the very first thing he says to them is i don't change oh children of jacob i don't change and that's why you're not consumed See, that's good. If God were as capricious and whimsical as us, they would be gone, right? If they were our children, if they were our people who we had led and provided for and protected, and they were now turning away from us and refusing to give and and breaking marriage covenants and saying, God, where are you? If we were God, we would have toasted them, wouldn't we? They would be gone. We would have defriended them. We would have blocked them and reported them as spam, right? They would have been gone if we were God. But God says, I don't change. And that's why you're not consumed. Don't miss the fact that this is the covenant making and the covenant keeping God speaking to the children of Jacob, who are the children of Abraham, who He promised that He was going to bring a blessing to all the nations through. That He promised that through them would come this Davidic Messiah. And what He started, He wants them to know He's going to finish. He's going to see it all the way through. So they don't have to worry that He's left them. They don't have to worry that something is going to come in and take them and, and shut this thing down. Because what God has started, He wants them to know He will indeed finish. He has not abandoned them even though they have abandoned Him. The only reason that they have not been consumed and wiped out is because God doesn't change. You see, their track record is about like ours. Look at verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. They had this long history of rebellion. And so do we. Verses like Jeremiah seven twenty five and 26 says, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. And the implication is you're doing worse than your fathers. There's this long line of rebellion against God. And I would say to you that we are not all that different. They had all the prophets sent to them. And have we not got multiple copies of Bibles on our shelves? Do we not have access to multiple podcasts upon podcasts and books upon books? Have we not sat and listened to maybe hundreds or thousands of sermons? Yet we are a rebellious people as well. And I would say to you, church, that just as God says to them, I don't change and that's why you're not consumed, I would say to you that we better thank God that he's not a God that works on contract, but that he's a God that works on covenant. He works on grace for us. He says to them, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but some of you may be sitting here saying, well, wait a minute, now you're lumping me in with a bunch of people here. How do you know me? How do you know I have such a... History of rebellion. Well, I would say to you, if that's your response, you're not acting any different than they did. Notice what they said. How have we robbed you? So if you can sit here today and say, How have I robbed God? How have I rebelled against God? Then you are blinded to your sin just as much as they are blinded to theirs. You see, what we're going to see in this passage is that that when it comes to money in particular, and this is the particular area of sinfulness that we're going to deal with today, when it comes to sinfulness, we, like them, often don't notice that we have gone astray from God. We only notice that the blessing is gone. We don't don't notice that we've left the giver. We only miss the gift. Right? And that's what we're going to see. This is what they were noticing in verses 14 and 15 of this chapter they say, you've said it's vain. God says, this is what you're saying. It's vain to serve God. You're saying, what's the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. In other words, what they're saying is this. You know, I, I tried that and it didn't work. Why why should I do what God says if he's not going to bless me? And I've heard this from some of you. Some of you have said to me, look, I'm trying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all these things. And God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. He just seems to be so distant from me. And I would say to you, you're coming at it from the wrong perspective. You're coming to the giver to get the gift instead of coming to the giver to get the giver. They're saying things like, you know, it seems like all the worldly people, all the people out there that are not followers, they're not children of Jacob, they're not children of God, it seems like they're the ones that are getting away with murder. They're the ones that are prospering. What does it profit me if I follow this God? And this is where they're at. We become angry in this, this, this time when we act like this and we express a, a sentiment of entitlement. As if God owes us something. But I would say to you again what I said a minute ago, we don't want God to operate on contract. We want Him to operate on covenant. That's why today I want to give you some things in this text about how to handle money. I want us to look at at what happens when we handle money our way, what happens when we handle money God's way. And then we'll come back at the end and say, well, how do we go from here? Okay, so first, how do we? What happens when we handle money our way? When we handle money selfishly, when we refuse to see God as the owner of all things, but instead we function as if we own it all? What happens is number one, we rob God. That's what it says in verse eight. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. There's something incredibly personal here, isn't there? When God says, look, out of all these verses, there are like 55 verses, I think, in the entire book of Malachi, something, over 40 of them, almost the entire book are the direct words of God. There's something very personal here to which I would say, yes, it's personal. Remember, God owns everything. We said this a couple of weeks ago, that God owns everything, not just the money in your wallet or your bank account, but you. He owns your job, your spouse, your your children, your house, everything, everything that you call yours, that your hands touch, he owns. Psalm twenty four one says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So I would say, yes, this is personal. What do we call it? When someone takes something that is not theirs and uses it for their own purposes. Don't we call that theft? Don't we call that stealing? And that's what God is saying here. You're taking what is mine that I've allowed you to handle and you're using it in your ways. Selfish ways. Refusing to acknowledge me. And I would tell you this morning that some of you are sitting there saying, uh, you know, well... I don't really have an issue with money. Well, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's some possession, or maybe it's someone else's position, or maybe it's even someone else's person. Isn't this what David found out when he took the wife that was not his, but it was the wife of Uriah, and he brought her to his house, and he slept with her? And when she became pregnant, then he sent her husband off into battle and had him executed to cover it up. When David did this, when David took what was not his and used it for his own purposes, listen to what he says after he's experienced the conviction of the Spirit of God that felt like his bones were breaking, that his joy was gone, that he felt like he was dying on the inside. Psalm 51 verse 4 he says, against you, you only have I sinned. See, David knows that there is something incredibly personal about robbing God, about taking what is His and using it however we want. Have you ever thought about why God included in the Ten Commandments such things as remember the Sabbath, don't steal, don't covet? Could it be that God knows in the Ten Commandments, these big ten, that God gives us these three because He knows the condition of our hearts. Our hearts are incredibly selfish. And He knows us well enough to know that if He doesn't tell us not to remember the Sabbath, if if He doesn't give us that command, He knows that we'll take the Sabbath and we'll treat it just like any other day. And we'll work as long as we can work in order to gain more for ourselves. Does he not know us in the depths of our souls that we are thieves at heart? Does he not know that we look at other people's property and say, I want that. Why can't I have that? Why do they get all that? See, God, could it be that God has built the tithe into following Him? Yes, it's an Old Testament command. and It's never commanded in the New Testament. But it is a principle that was carried over in Jesus affirming it in Luke chapter 11. Could it be that God has instituted the tithe and giving in order to safeguard us against the selfishness of ourselves? Because when we give... When we, when we take and we say, God, it's not mine, it's yours, and I'm going to give to you, we're saying to him, I trust you. I love you. I know myself, and therefore I'm going to give to you. As Christians, we are under grace, but are we any less prone to steal from God now as they were then? second thing about this, when we handle money our way, not only do we, we rob God, but we hurt ourselves. This is what verse 9 says. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The curse here that he's talking about is the curse that they know they're experiencing. Look at verse 11. In verse 11 he says, I will rebuke the devourer. Apparently they were experiencing this devourer that was coming, something, some Pestilence—something was taking their crops, and they may have simply thought circumstance, consequence. We already know that they were saying, "God, where are you? You're being unfaithful to me." But they were missing the fact that it was God Himself that was disciplining them. This, when we handle money our way. We hurt ourselves. They were experiencing this curse of the discipline of God. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. He goes on in that passage to talk about how they were committing adultery and turning away from their spouses. They're putting on religion, but they're living far from God, and they're expecting him to bless. God's withdrawing his hand, and they couldn't figure out why. Well, failing to see God as owner and us as managers sometimes results, I would tell you, church, in God's loving discipline. Many of of us, many of you can't figure out why you don't have enough fruit, according to this passage, at the end of the month. You can't figure out why you can't make ends meet and there never seems to be enough and you can't figure out why, where your money goes. Could it be, and this is just a pastor up here trying to extrapolate what's in Scripture for a specific people in the Old Testament trying to bring out something that may still be true about God and our relating to Him. Could it be that the reason you can't make ends meet is because you are neglecting God in the way that you handle money? Could could you be feeling the chastisement, the loving correction of God who is disciplining you, wanting to bring your heart in line with His? When we handle money our way, it hurts us. And third is this. When we handle money our way, it hinders the church. It hinders the church. In verse 10, he says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In the Old Testament, God had established a tithe for a couple of different things. We talked about it last week, but I'll just give you a couple. To care for the poor, the landless poor, and also to provide for those who minister in the temple. It was to to care for the work of, in that day, if we take it to this day, It's to care for the work of the church. And yes, that's Old Testament. And while we're not commanded to tithe, specifically in the New Testament... I would say to you that the poor still exist, and the work of God's house still exists. That we minister in a different way, that we no longer are the ones who perform the sacrifices of animals, but we're now the ones who proclaim the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. But this work still goes on. When we handle money our way and use it selfishly and refuse to give, I would tell you that the work of the church is hindered. Now, the, the reason that I share with you last week all of those things that we are doing as a church, I went through just an extensive list, and I, as soon as I got out the doors, I remembered things that, I, that we're also doing that are going on here that I left off that list. But the reason I told you that was not simply to give you a list of what's going on, but I wanted you to see all of what God is doing through His church here. I want you to be aware of that because I want you to see what you're investing in, what you're giving to but look, let me tell you this, if you don't give, those things don't get done. Those things don't happen. It's, it's not as if they're th- these chairs or magical chairs that we brought, bought from, from church chair company and they come with this special feature that they just spit out money. You know, it's, that just didn't happen that way. Instead, what God says is, my people are going to be people that that live in such a way that the gospel impacts and changes every facet, every area of their lives. Now, some of y'all are looking under your chairs right now. I promise you those are not those chairs. But God says the gospel should so impact our lives in every area that even when it comes to money, that we handle our money in such a way to build the kingdom for His glory. And that means we give. We're generous People, We give so that the work of the church might go. It might go to the people who need to hear the gospel. It might go to those who are poor and needy and without food. It might go in so many different arenas and so many different areas to take the gospel so that God's name might be proclaimed and that He might be worshipped among people where He is not worshipped now. When we handle money our way, we rob God. We hurt ourselves, and we hinder the church. But now I want you to see this. When we handle money God's way, when we handle money God's way, He provides for our needs. Look at verse 10 again. He says, Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now that phrase, windows of heaven, is used a couple other places. The very first place it's used is in the book of Genesis. Chapters 7 and 8, it's talking about the windows of heaven that God opened when He poured out the rain that flooded the earth. See, these windows of heaven can go both ways. They can be windows pouring out blessing, and they can also be windows pouring out judgment. But what I want you to see here is God says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you so much that you can't handle it, that it, it takes care of every need that you have. Can you imagine someone in heaven, can you imagine an angel in heaven turning to God and saying, God, we don't have any more of those. I sent my wife a text yesterday as I was home and she was out and I said, would you bring home soap and coffee? Yes. Can you imagine an angel in heaven turning and saying, we don't have any soap. Somebody, somebody, somebody get somebody to get some soap. See, in heaven, there's no end to the resources. God's storehouse never runs out. God owns everything. Psalm 24, everything is His. Should that surprise us? He's the one who created everything from nothing. So if it all runs out, He could make more. Our government tries that. But God's the only one that can do that. The point in this, is not, it's not saying to us, if you'll give to God, if you'll test him in this, then he's going to open the windows of heaven and he's going to pour out so much blessing and you're going to be so prosperous and God wants you rich, he wants you wealthy and healthy and he wants you wise, he wants, he wants his children to walk around with just looking good. See, only in America does that work. But you take that to places like Somalia, in places where there's great persecution and great suffering, and that doesn't work. See, this is, not, this is not saying, if you'll do this, if you'll pull the handle of the machine, then God's going to give you more, he's going to fill your wildest dreams. But what, he, what God is saying is, if you will trust me in this, you will find out that I am able and willing to take care of every need that you have. Think about it. If we can trust him to save us, if we can trust God to forgive our sins, to bring us into his family, to adopt us and call us children, if we can trust him to say, look, look, yes, I'll die one day, but because Christ was raised from the dead, I also, I believe, will be raised from the dead. I'm giving eternity and putting it in the hands of God. If we can trust him with that, should we not also be able to trust him for things like soup? And mortgage payments and new blue jeans. God says, Look, if you'll simply trust me, if you'll test me in this, if you'll give what is mine, stop robbing me, then you'll find that I'll provide every need that you have. Secondly, when we handle money God's way, He protects us. Look at verse 11. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And again, I don't think this should surprise us because the very one who spoke and created all that we know, does it, does it make sense that he could also speak and rebuke whatever is seeking to devour us? Absolutely it does. He says to them, look, the reason you're experiencing this devourer in your fields is because you are robbing from me. If you will turn to me, he says, return to me and I will return to you. I'll I'll rebuke this devourer. Whatever you're worried about, God has power over. This does not mean, though, that if we handle money God's way, that nothing bad will ever come our way. So I thought through this. Wasn't it Jesus who took the coin from the mouth of the fish for his disciples to pay the temple tax. Yet it was that same Jesus who said, The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Was it, was it not Jesus who was asked about paying taxes and he said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. But it didn't stop him from being nailed to a Roman cross. So see, following God, there's a false teaching out there that says if you follow Jesus, if you'll just trust him, he's going to make everything just rainbows and puppies for you. There's not going to be any suffering come your way at all, right? And that's not true. Jesus himself suffered, and he said, if you'll follow me, you're going to suffer in this life. So what does it mean? If we handle God's money, he'll provide for our needs. What it means is this. When we handle money God's way we are acknowledging that He is sovereign and He is more powerful and He is in control of everything in the universe. And we are exercising trust in Him to be not only our provider, but also our protector. Instead of saying, well, if I have anything left over at the end of the month, maybe I'll put a little bit in the plate. What if instead we said to God, God, you are sovereign and ruler over all. Therefore, you know my finances. You know where I am. So God, I'm going to trust you to provide and I'm going to trust you to protect. So off the top, God, I'm going to give to you because I believe these things about you. What would it say about our worship? What would it say putting that thermometer into the core of who we are? third thing about handling money God's way is this. It promotes God himself. Verse 12, he says, Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now these people, these children of Jacob, who were, were now back, Jerusalem had become anything but a land of delight. God says here, if you'll return to me, I'm going to return to you, and I'm going I'm to rebuke the devourer and all these things. But in the meantime... They had become anything but a land of delight. In fact, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 15, tells about all who pass by. They pass along the way. They clap their hands at you. They hiss. They wag their heads at, at the daughter of Jerusalem. And they say, Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? Jerusalem had been a place had become a place where it was scorned and it was ugly and it was anything but a land of delight but God is telling them all of that would change if you would just repent. All of that would change if you would return to me. If they would only return to God, he would return to them and open the windows of heaven and rebuke the devourer. And when that happened, what would the nations call them? Blessed which implies that there is a blesser. If the nations look in and see this city that once they wagged their heads at and clapped their hands and hissed and said, "Is this the city called perfection and beauty?" and they look at it and it has been restored and it is beautiful and it is a land of delight, what they do is they look in and they don't say, "Oh, those children of Jacob, they really know how to manage a city." But instead they say, you are indeed blessed. There is an outside blesser who is shining on you. And it ultimately promotes God and the worship of Him. I wonder sometimes if we realize that the point of our lives is not us. But the point of our lives is God. And He is the... He is to be the, 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 the direction of our lives. There is a country song. I don't, didn't plan to say this, but it's a popular song right now talking about following the arrow of your heart or whatever. The arrow of your heart will lead you to destruction. There should be one direction for our lives as believers, and it is to make much of Jesus. I wonder sometimes though, if we realize this, that our lives are not about us, but they're about him. We're meant to become, to be, to be channels or thoroughfares. When, when God lets things come into our lives, when he gives us, when he blesses us with these things. They were meant to be thoroughfares, where those things pass freely through us to be a blessing to other people, to point other people to him. But instead, so many believers have stopped being thoroughfares and they have become cul-de-sacs and dead-end streets where the blessing just comes to them and stops and it's hoarded and it's spent and it's squandered on us. So when we handle money our way, we rob God, we hurt ourselves and we hinder the church. But when we handle money God's way, things are quite different. When we handle money God's way, we, we make much of Him. He provides for our needs and He ultimately protects us in all that we're doing maybe not keeps us from all harm but he sees us through all of it so you sit here today and you say well wait a minute I've I've been handling money my way I've not been handling money God's way I've been been doing things my way I've been that cul-de-sac that dead-end street God's been so good to me If if I sit and I take stock of all that God has given me God's been so good and I've been selfish and I've hoarded this and I've not thought about His church and His name and His renown. I've not trusted Him in these things. And you say, well, Pastor, how do I get out of here from from here? Where do I go from here? How do I get out of this mess? Well, I would tell you exactly what He tells us in the text. And yes, this is to an Old Testament people who... Uh, they, they, they obeyed in order to be blessed, and we're not that same people. We are blessed in order to bless other people or to give to other people. We don't earn or deserve what God gives us. But I would tell you exactly what this text says. Number one, God doesn't change. That God's a God of covenant and what He started in Christ, He will see all the way through. And if you're here today as a child of God, what He started in you, when He called you to Himself, He is not going to give up and quit along the way. You may be off, away from Him and wandering from Him in the way you've handled money, but guess what? He promises, He says, that He's going to also see you all the way through to glorification. So rest in that. Rest in the fact that He is sovereign and He is good and He does not change. Secondly is this, he says to them, return to me, return to God, return to me, he says, and I will return to you. Micah chapter 7 verses 18 through 20, this is not exactly a typical passage that I might share with you about repenting and coming back to God in this area of your life, but I want you to hear it, because as I read this, it absolutely floored me. God opened this text to me with with new eyes this week. Micah 7, 18-20, he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? This is what he says to the children of Jacob. I don't change. That's why you're not consumed. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. It's not that he's when he says tread our iniquities underfoot, it's not that he's sweeping them under the rug and then walking on the rug. He's put all of our iniquities on Christ. He goes on and he says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. To which I would say to you, it turns out what we thought was the sea was a cup. And it was a cup that Jesus drank. He throws all of our iniquities into this cup and Jesus takes it. And I would ask you this morning, how many of your sins were future when Christ went to the cross? Every one of them. So if you find yourself now in the middle of sin, handling money selfishly, Maybe a pattern for a long time and you say, well, gosh, I'm just too far gone. There's nothing that God could do now. I'm I'm past the point of ever being able to be right and be forgiven. Don't, don't treat the sacrifice of Christ that way. Don't treat it as if it's the same strength of something that you would do. This is not some chemical that you would pull out from under the counter hoping that it might break up the crust on the counter. This is the blood of Christ This is the perfect, sinless sacrifice of God. So wherever you are in this room today, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's the way you've handled other things in your life. You've strayed from God. You have rebelled against Him and you've gone your own way. Don't think for a second that you've gone too far, too much, because God says He delights in steadfast love. He again has compassion on us. He treads our iniquities under His feet. He casts all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. These, these children of Jacob who had a long history of rebellion are the same ones that He promises to see all the way through. So Christian, if you're here today and you're off away from him in sin, don't stay in that sin, but instead return to the one who is steadfast in love and continues to show compassion. Return to him, and the Bible says he will return to you. The third thing in this text that I would tell you how to get out of this mess, return to him, he's going to return to you, but he tells you to do something. He says, test me in this. Which I would say to you, administer the test. I want you to understand, I want you to see that this is not you that's taking the test. God's not saying here, take the test. God's saying, test me. It's It's not your name that's on the line, it's not going to be red ink on your paper. It's my name that's at stake here. He says, Test me in this and see if I will not. What, what God is saying to us here is give me the test, administer the test, let me take the test in your life. Give God the opportunity to prove, to prove his faithfulness in response to your faith by how you handle money. Give him that opportunity. Many people continue to flounder with weak faith because they never give God the opportunity to prove His faithfulness. Step out in bold faith knowing that His is a name that He will not let fail. His character it, it does not change. He owns all, everything, cattle on a thousand hills Everything on earth is His. Everything in the heavens is His. Step out on faith and trust Him. See if He will not open the windows of heaven and meet your every need and rebuke the devourer in your life and make much of His own name with you trusting Him. Let's pray together. God, I pray that You would take this message that... God, it's been preached this morning, and God, I pray that you would make much of yourself. God, that you would bring it to ears and take it beyond ears, and God, that you would awaken dead hearts. God, those of us in the room that are believers, that are still prone to wander, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see this. And God, that by faith that we would step out. That we would administer the test. That we would begin to hold things loosely. And God, that we would be thoroughfares. That we would be channels. That we would be conduit, God, where you can send these things through us in order to take the gospel to others. God, I pray that if there are Someone in the room today that does not know You as Savior and Lord, God, I pray that You'd be merciful, God, and You'd call them to Yourself. God, if there's someone here today that's beating themselves up with sin and they're trying to hang, hang on to it and handle it themselves, they're hiding from You, God, I pray that they would come to the end of their running and their hiding, and God, that they would simply trust the One who is steadfast in love, ready to show compassion because You have judged their sin on Christ. God, I pray in this time that you would make much of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to respond in obedience. We want to give you an opportunity to simply think about what you've heard. And I know that I've yelled a lot this morning, and I've been pretty passionate about this this morning. But I want you to look beyond my yelling and my passion, and I want you to ask God seriously, God, what does this mean for me? And maybe, maybe you're here and maybe it means that you need to quit running and you need to turn to Him. You're here today and, and you've been on the edge and you've convinced yourself that you're a Christian maybe, but you're really not. And you need to stop your running and turn from your sin and trust Christ. Maybe you're here today and you are a believer. You know you are, but boy, you've strayed from Him in this area or in another one. Quit running. Return to Him and see Him return to you. Maybe you're here today and you've just not been handling money God's way and, and you just need to make this commitment before God that this is what you're going to do. Spend some time wrestling with this. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, this is, I believe, where God's leading me to join. This is the church where God's calling us to. Whatever it is, whatever God's calling you to this morning, I want you to know that I'm going to be seated right down here on the front as Jed is Leading us in this time of reflection and response. As God moves on you, then just do what He says. Just be obedient. If you need to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. If you need to come pray, come pray. Whatever it is that God is is saying to you, He's spoken in His Word. Whatever He's calling you to, trust Him. Step out, administer the test. Watch him be faithful. You respond to him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.